0: If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter three. We're gonna be looking at the last portion of chapter three in verses 14 through 21. Um, And if you don't have a Bible at at all, um, not just with you, but at all, we have Bibles out in the commons at the Connection Center. And if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one of those. That's our gift to you. We don't want anything for it. We'd love for you to have that. And if you don't have one with you today, it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, Today we are talking on prayer. We've been in this series through the book of Ephesians called Made Alive and talking about identity and how our identity is specifically in Christ. There's all these other versions of identity out in the world and uh, even shared with you at one point that if you google the word identity, because I love googling things, uh, if you google the word identity you'll find 444 billion results, okay? If you If you uh, Google the word identity crisis, if you add the word crisis in front of it, you only come up with 15 billion, which only tells us there's a greater problem. Everybody thinks they know what their identity is, and nobody believes they have a problem. Okay, so that's the culture around us, but the truth is our identity as believers is in Christ. And so we've been going through this series, and today we're going to hear one of Paul's prayers for the church. And and there's a lot of words that start with P, so this will be fun. But prayer is one of my favorite topics. It's one of my struggling disciplines, and I think it's one of the most intimate interactions we have with God. I love prayer. And as a, as a young leader now, but even before, one of the books that I gleaned from another leader in my life was a book by a man named J. Oswald Sanders. The book's called Spiritual Leadership. And I have held on to this quote about prayer because I think it's so basic and simple and true and perfect. Um, what he says about prayer and focusing us in on prayer is really incredible. So I just want to share this quote with you. J. Oswald Sanders says, Prayer is the most ancient, most universal, and most intensive expressions of the religious instinct. It includes the simplest speech of infant lips and the inspiring entreaties of older age. Prayer is indeed the Christian's vital breath and native air. But strange paradox. Most of us find it hard to pray. We do not naturally delight in drawing near to God. We sometimes pay lip service to the delight and power of prayer. We call it crucial. We know the scriptures call for it, yet we often fail to pray. This quote has challenged me and encouraged me and helped shape me today, and I love prayer. And I think One of the things that needs to be really understood for us is that prayer is something for all of us to do. It is a vital piece of our relationship with God to continually be in relationship with Him through prayer. So it's not just for pastors, and it's not just those with the gift of intercession. It's for all of us. But the piece, I think, that really defines someone's prayer life, that really helps us understand someone's prayer life, is prayer is something that, if it's not displayed... As you're learning this, it's not duplicated often. If it's not displayed, it's not duplicated. And so here, what we're going to see as we read Ephesians 3 it is Paul display his prayer life for the church. And really with his desire that they would duplicate this, that they would glean from this. Because more is caught than it is taught. So I can stand up here and teach you all these things. But if we sit together hours upon hours and we pray together, you're going to catch some things. I'm going to catch some things in your prayer life. And so I think what Paul is then doing is he's really modeling this. And Paul began to get into his prayer last week. We, we saw at the beginning of, of uh, chapter three and verse one, he was really beginning to share with them. He was getting to his prayer, but he, he interrupted himself. He interrupts himself to really say he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. And he really said, listen, so that you're not troubled and, and thinking that this is a bad thing, there's a great purpose in my imprisonment. There's great intention behind this, and Paul really stressed that he felt called as the apostle to the Gentiles, that even in the midst of his trials, this was a gift from God to him by the wonderful grace of God, that his purpose was to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that this was the responsibility, this was the call, and this was the encouragement to Paul. That in Christ, he had boldness and access with confidence through faith. That you and I have boldness and access with confidence through faith. And so Paul says, listen, this is my ministry. I'm in prison for you, but here's what God's doing in the midst of it. There's purpose in it. So in our text today, where we see Paul sharing is from his prayer life. Not just from prison, but but in his prayer life. So he's on his knees praying for his church And he was in Rome. Although the church was in Ephesus that he's writing to, he's in prison in Rome. And and let's just think for a moment about Paul's jail cell here. Paul's jail cell is basically a hole in the ground. This is not what we see on TV today, what what a cozy jail cell would look like. And so picture this space for a moment here uh, of the prison in Rome. That, that there's really multiple men really stacked one upon the other in a hole that there's no bathrooms, there's no running water, there's no fresh food, there's no light. And the further you are in the hole, the worse it is for you, for very obvious reasons, as you're stacked one upon the other. And anything that happens above you falls on you, and with no bathrooms and such, it's a pretty awful scenario. It's not good. This is where Paul's at. Paul's at but he has joy. He has a desire that they would, they would glean from his prayer life, that he could share with them how he wants them to be strengthened. So I think it's really important for us to understand the place of where Paul is sharing from. That the Romans really didn't even consider this imprisonment a form of punishment, which should say a lot about the Roman people. And also, these prisons were used by those really awaiting trial for death the death penalty by those imprisonment, waiting for the result of why they were imprisoned. And even some were executed in the prisons. So this is what's going on around Paul. It's a filthy, crowded place where prisoners were were treated no better than the dead. And so what's important to me, why I share this with you, is because I think often when when we look at prayer, we try to find that cozy space. Get our cafe mocha latte and get our little devotional and spend that 20 minutes in our prayer time. And that may not be you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I was just thinking about this in the regard that you know, up in, in uh, my bedroom at our house, oh, we have this awesome big bedroom, bunch of windows in it, nice uh, natural light, and I have this cozy leather chair where I'll often study and I'll go and sit in my time with, uh, with God in prayer. This is not Paul's position. This is not where Paul is praying from. And so as he says, I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to have fully experience the love of God in Christ. His position for us to understand is important. And so as we unpack our text this morning in Ephesians 3, it's this prayer it's a prayer from Paul in jail that he's writing down and sending to his church and a lot of the book of Ephesians involves prayer. A, lot of, a little bit of what we've read and what we'll continue to read. I mean, roughly half of the book is prayer. It's prayers he's praying. It's prayer requests. It's prayer reports. Paul's someone who's praying and he's praying from an ugly space to a great God for our sake. And so, all woven through the book of Ephesians, the big idea is that there's no such thing as a faithful Christian church without a praying Christian people. And so Paul really is making this point. Prayer is what is sustaining this forward progress of health, of growth, and life of the church in Christ. That prayer is a vital piece for us all. So as Paul then shares his prayer for the church on his knees in this whole that is prison. What we're going to see and what our sentence is really is that we are strengthened and rooted in the love of Christ, which empowers us. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So Paul begins by saying, listen, we are strengthened. And this is not a physical strength, but a spiritual strength. And this spiritual sp- strength comes specifically from God through the Holy Spirit. And many Romans, many, many people in that day really regarded spirits as an impersonal force that could be manipulated through magic to gain power. But in, in contrast to this, this is not the spirit that Paul talks about. Here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God who strengthens believers. And so as we look at that, we're we're talking about an important doctrine here. It's not just some force off in the distance who just kind of does some things here and does some things here. He's talking about an active person in the Trinity. That there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together in unity. And so this is the God that we serve, the Trinitarian God, one God, three parts. And so as Paul's talking about being strengthened, he's saying it's not by your own physical strength, it's by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Now let me say something to to the, the relevance of our culture. There are some whacked ideas of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. There are some scary ideas of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And there are those who are taking Scripture completely out of context. And I believe what we're really seeing in our culture is an, emotion, an emotional rise that the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with. That it's really that there are groups making great claims that you will not find in the Bible. This scares me. I find no peace in this. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge this, to talk about this. And they're really doing their own thing and they're calling it the Spirit's work. So I think we really need to be careful. Now, here, here's the part about me. I'm much more conservative than I am charismatic. You already know this. If you don't know this, there you go. But the reality is then, here's what I want you to understand as I, as I really draw a line on some of, these, some of these groups who would make these claims. I'm all for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in God's kids. I want nothing to do with what God's kids want to do with the Holy Spirit. There's a very important distinction that we need to make because it is God's work in us, not our work along with what what the Holy Spirit will do. So I'm all for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in God's kids. I'm not for what God's kids want to do with the Holy Spirit. And that's not my clever statement or anything. That's something I totally stole from Dave Browning. So just so you know, I'm not that clever. I'm just stealing things. But I think what we need to acknowledge is our strength on our own is not enough. Your method is not enough. It's not going to work. The strength that you receive in Christ is not your own strength. already existed and all of a sudden he just revealed it to you. That we are strengthened by a spiritual strength, not our own physical strength. And God has given us the Holy Spirit as a helper. In fact, this is what Jesus said in John 15 verse 26. He said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So even there, he says, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, God the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, God in Christ, he will bear witness about me. And so we see these three parts. Working together, working together. So, as God, as we come before God the Father in prayer, we have access because of the finished work of Jesus. It's not by our own works, it's by the finished work of Jesus. And we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit working in us. But I think the big question then that we have to ask, and and with all of these different examples and all these different ideas of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does, what do you do if you don't feel strengthened? What, if you, what do you do if you just feel emotionally, spiritually, physically just weak? What do you do if you don't feel strengthened? I love the example that if an electrical appliance malfunctions and, and it's not operating, what should you do? What's the first thing you do? Check the power source. Is it plugged in? Is it plugged in? If you want the appliance to work, you need to connect to the power. And so prayer is our connection to God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if, if you want Christ in you, if you want to be strengthened, pray. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Because I think often what we do is we, we tend to, and, and this is just my own story, so don't think I'm putting this on you, but my thing is I, I often think, uh, through, here's how I'm working things out, here's how I'm working through my strength, here's how I'm working through my method, and then God meets me where I'm, I'm at and just shows me, no, it's never been about you. You are not the strength of which I want you to be built in. I'm the strength. So then from that, there's nothing I can boast in of my own but in God. And this last week, as I told you, I was at our, prayer, our pastor's retreat there was really a, a neat defining moment. I really had this idea that, man, it was gonna be some profound time. You know, you just walk into a conference or a, or a time or a, or a worship night just going, this is what it's gonna be like, and then God totally decides to do something else. And, and I think the Holy Spirit's work is incredible because the Holy Spirit doesn't always speak to all of us the same way in our lives. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks, sometimes he moves, sometimes he reveals, sometimes he fills, and, and other time he... Other times, he convicts, and he does that well, and he does that often. But for me, I'm, I'm sitting at this conference, right, 40-plus pastors. Um, so all these guys, we know all the, the right things to say. We know all the, the right methods to think of. But in the midst of that, I'm making great connections with other pastors. I had an awesome solo time in the morning, time in the Word where God was really revealing truths, and God literally used in the midst of farmland as I drove off Um, And had some solo time. God totally used um, a a farmer uh, spreading manure across his fields. And I'll tell you that illustration later. But it's just neat how God was working through that. So some awesome time throughout the day. But I just felt a disconnect. I felt a disconnect where I, I, I just kind of wondered some things. And that evening I was in a time of worship with all these pastors. And I just wasn't feeling it. Just wasn't feeling it. And I just went and sat at the very back, a room filled with these guys, and just went and sat at a table. And I just asked God, What's keeping me from you? I don't even know what it is. What's keeping me from you? What's keeping you from me? What's my problem? What's your problem? Really seeking God, pressing into God, really asking Him, Is it, is it a sin that I'm not bringing before you? Is it a lack of something? Is it. Is it a heart issue? What's, what's going on in me that you want to address? And I will tell you honestly, I just had no energy. Just felt exhausted. And finally sitting and breathing and processing how this last year has gone. I just realized, man, I'm trying to be strengthened by my own doing. And this ain't working at all. In fact, I even had a conversation with a pastor briefly before that of how, Um, my guitar is sitting in my closet and I want nothing to do with that thing. We don't have a good relationship right now because the last time I picked up my guitar, a worship leader was sick, so I stepped in to help. Grandma died, so someone needed to sing a song. An uncle died and didn't know Jesus, so someone better sing a tribute so we all feel better. We don't have a good relationship. And and so for me, worship is kind of a tricky one for me in the form of music. Music. As a previous worship leader, that's not always how I connect. I do better in the silence and in the quiet space. And so just sitting off on my own, sat at the table at the back, not being rebellious by any means, but just sitting back there and and hearing as these men are are singing these songs to God, and I I just said one sentence that just kind of broke my method of strengthening. And and then it shifted my thinking, and I just began to repeat my second sentence about 20 times for 20 minutes. And my first sentence was, I said, God, I am so tired. God, I am so tired. And then my second sentence, just repeating as I filled in this blank, that God just gave to me nothing clever, nothing red, nothing like that, but just pouring myself out, all of my weakness, all of my stuff, and just saying, God, you are over my weakness. You are God over my ministry. You are God over my marriage. You are God over my family. You are God over my struggles. You are God over my successes. You are God over all of my wreckage. You are God over me. So when we talk about being strengthened, it's not by our doing. It's not by how awesome you are. It's not because God chose you to be strengthened better than someone else. We are strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So let me ask you that question that that I just continue to repeat. Is he God over you? And, And fill in that blank for you. Is he God over your Fill in the blank. Is he God over your, your weakness? Is, is he God over your ministry, your family, your struggles, your successes? See, in our weakness, God's power can be displayed fully in our lives. And not where it conjures up some kind of behavior, but where it positions our, uh, ourselves in, in a more genuine way of who Christ is where we recognize God's equipping power because we know that, that even any achievement we accomplish, have not those things have not come from our own ability, but God's. In fact, one of the things that I loved that the way they opened up the conference um, for our pastor's retreat was one of the pastors got up um, who was kind of leading the weekend and he just said, um, Hey, just so you know, um, I don't give a crap about where you think your ministry is at. And I don't give a crap about your numbers. We give a crap about you. Because what it what it set the tone for and what I think we need to set the tone for in our churches and our small groups and our homes and our lives is God doesn't care about the numbers. He cares about the stories behind the numbers. God cares about your story. God cares about our story. And so as Paul says, listen, you are strengthened. I pray that you would be strengthened. It's not by your own ability. It's not by your own doing. And Paul says being strengthened, that his his prayer is then that we would be rooted in the love of Christ. And in verse 17, Paul uses two metaphors, firmly rooted and established. And so Paul mixes really an agriculture metaphor with an architectural metaphor, and so when you are certain of God's love for you, then you are rooted like a plant. And what that then allows us to do is begin to grow and flourish and bear fruit. And when you are certain of God's love for you, it's like the foundation of a building. You are established. It is there, firmly planted, established on the foundation of God's love and the building can then can, can be constructed. Because the foundation is perfectly straight. This is what we have in Christ, our cornerstone. And Paul really desires that the church would experience God's love. This is his great desire. Listen, all of this, I want you to be strengthened. I I want you to know that you are empowered as the body of Christ, under the glory of God, but I want you to be rooted in the love of Christ. And I, I just think for us, It's really important to understand. It's one thing to hear that. It's powerful to experience that. And they're not the same thing. It's one thing to hear that God loves us. It's powerful to experience that God loves us. Because just like if I was here in my office during the week and I called my wife every day from the office and I said, hey, I love you. I love you. Often when I'm on the phone with my wife or with my family, I'll end the call. Okay, I love you. So they would know it. My wife knows that I love her, but I doubt in that conversation she feels that, that she's experienced that. But if I walk up to my wife and I put my hands on her face and I zero my attention in on her, intently looking at her and I say, I love you. There's an experience there of my love for her. And even this morning, describing my notes to her of this, she started crying. So I know she's experiencing that. Whereas we've talked on the phone many times before. Okay, I love you. I think, honestly, I think a lot of us, not a lot, some of us have a relationship with God that's just a quick conversation over the phone. And you may have heard that God loves you, but you are not experiencing that God loves you. Which makes it impossible for you to be rooted and established in that love. This is a, a critical truth. I mean, all of us have heard John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave, yada yada, 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 yada. We know it. We for some of us, we grew up in Sunday school, we could recite it and, and help the teacher say it. We've heard it so many times, but we haven't experienced it. Some of the most incredible theological truth is in that verse, is in John 3:16. And 17. Because what that verse tells us is that God is a God of love who doesn't just say, I'm I'm here and I love you. He zeroes in. It's not us who zeroes in. It's God who zeroes in with his hands reaching out for us, saying, I loved you so much that I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to be rooted in the love that I have for you that I've given you through my son, Jesus. I want you to experience this. I don't want you to just hear this. Because the love that God has for us is a kind of love where he has looked at us and says, I see the ugly parts of you. I see the wreckage in you, and I'm staying. And I've sent Jesus to establish our relationship together, to root you in this love that you would experience. And so the Bible tells us over and over how much God loves us. But I think if we're not in relationship with Him, that relationship where we're zeroing in, putting our attention towards Him, then we're probably not experiencing His love for us. This is the power of the prayer that Paul is praying for the church. That they would experience the love and be rooted and established in Him. And then Paul prays that that it would empower them that we are strengthened and rooted in the love of Christ, which empowers us. So we are empowered by the indwelling, meaning the permanent presence of Christ in our hearts. And Paul really closes his prayer in verse 20 and 21 by giving glory where it's absolutely due. So he really tells the church, I I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be rooted in the love of Christ. And I I want this to empower you, but, but I want to give glory where glory is due. To God, And Paul is confident in God, what he is able to do, that God is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think he could do all of these things and more, far beyond our own imagination, that according to the power that works in us, to God be the glory. And I think the incredible thing is that Paul sees the church as the means by which much glory can be given to God. Not glory to us, but that we can use to bring glory to God. And we're gonna talk more about that role and more about that incredible truth next week. But in closing, I just wanna ask you some what ifs about this. That if we are empowered by Christ in us, then what would our lives look like to those around us? What should our lives look like to those around us? If we are empowered by Christ in us, then what should our gathering look like? Should that look any different on a Sunday morning here? If we are empowered by Christ in us, then is there something that needs to change in us that God wants to do in us? I think this is the incredible part about prayer, that prayer is not changing the position of God prayer is more often than not about changing our position and our posture. God doesn't bow his knee when you pray. You bow your knee when you pray. The change of posture and position is us coming before him. So if we're empowered by Christ in us, then what could God do with our little town With our little church, if we experienced him, not just heard him, knew him, read about him, but experienced him as a bigger God than the box we put him in. What could God do with our little town and our little church? What could he do? And if we are empowered by Christ in us, then is he God over your fill in the blank? If we are empowered by Christ in us, then is he God over us? See, in closing, what we see about Paul's prayer, the incredible truth is we kind of think on some of these questions and we come to a close. The theme of Paul's prayers is that there's a family and there's a father. There's a family and there's a father, and the family is the church. And I think what happens sometimes, often in some of our methodology and some of our ministry and some of our approach, and I say this not that you're guilty of this, but I'm guilty of this, and particularly in the Western world, is that church is viewed as a seller of religious goods and services. And then the people then tend to treat it like it's a business and they become customers and consumers and critics and complainers. But we're not a business. We're a family. And I have to say, church, I'm, I'm really grateful for you. There are times where you, individually, you've, you've come up to me. You've shared truths with me. You've shared your thoughts or your concerns, especially if I go way off to the left, and you're like, what are you doing? Careful what you're saying there. And I, I, I value what you share. You're not complainers, but your concern is valuable. And I love that we are, are not a church dominantly of consumers, But I think there is that that method in our culture that we have to be careful of. And remember that we're not not a business. We're a family. And God has not given us this building in this last year to make us more cozy. But he's given us a space to put our stuff so we can do the real mission work. Because that's the family we want to bring people into. And so the prayer that Paul is praying here for the church over you and I is really a relational prayer. It's really a pastoral prayer saying, I love you, I want you to be strengthened, rooted in the love of Christ, experiencing this, not just hearing this from me, but I want you to experience this and be empowered by this. That they would grow up into Christ, being strengthened not by their own doing, but by Christ in them and the Holy Spirit's work in them. Let's pray.